It's good to be together, and God has a purpose for us. How many of you are excited that God doesn't leave us the way we are? <laughs> I tell you, I am. I know that he's still got a lot of work to do. I don't know about you, but God doesn't leave us the way we are. And this morning, I want to talk on a subject that's really been on my heart for the last little while. I've titled it, When the Worth of Jesus and the Love of His Followers Match. Can I say that again? When the worth of Jesus and the love of his followers match. What I'm wanting to touch on this morning and what we're going to look at is not so much matters of the head, but matters of the heart. So if you were hoping to come and hear an elaborate message filled with great doctrinal teaching, I'll leave that to Mark. <laughs> but, <laughs> but... Not that I'm against great expository theological teaching, but this morning I just really felt on my heart that there's a striking simplicity in the gospel, and if we pick that up, we will see the incredible worthiness of this king that we serve, and that should be filling us, church, every day with a renewed sense of devotion and thankfulness to him like never before. Recently, we had the privilege as a, as a family, well, while Glenn was in South Africa, the boys and I went over to Tofino, and we were there for a weekend. And I don't know if you've ever been to a place like Tofino in storm-watching season. Show of hands, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Well, oh, by the way, a, a short side story before that. So we arrive, we go swimming at the beach. We decide we're going to go down to the beach one day. Darren's, Darren, my son, wants to body surf. So we've got a boogie board and everything. We arrive there, and there's just surfers everywhere, everyone with their black wetsuits on, right? And out of the car gets my son with his shorts and his T-shirt and his boogie board. And like these guys, all the surfers guys are looking at like, and the one guy had the courage. He says, hey, dude, where's your wetsuit, man? And Darren's like, Mwah. whatever. Well, two hours later, I kid you not, Two hours solid, my son was in that water without getting out for one minute. He doesn't feel the cold. He's my hero, I tell you. I can't do that. <laughs> but if you've ever been to a place like Tofina in storm-watching season, you'll know what I'm talking about. You stand on the rocks by the ocean shore, and maybe it's pouring with rain, maybe the wind's howling, but there's something of incredible awe and wonder when those waves crash over. They massive. You have these huge waves. You have lots of movement. You have lots of action. There's incredible moments of exhilaration and awe. If you've ever stood on the shoreline close to the sea when it's pounding, yet it's also the most time, the time of most danger. Is that fair to say? You can stand, I've been in South Africa once where we were fishing and there was a guy who was fishing and a wave came over and washed him out to shore and it didn't have a pleasant ending to that story. Getting caught up in the frenzy of the moment can lead to being swept away unexpectedly and that which is awesome and wild and huge and exhilarating becomes the very thing that can produce death. And as a church, we're in an incredible season of blessing and favor, guys. I don't know if you've noticed that. You may be new here and we want to say welcome. It's wonderful to have you. But over the last season, we have seen so much growth in the life of the church. Have you seen that? New people coming in every day. 
I'm telling you, it's wonderful. I've just ordered another 100 chairs for us in this auditorium because we're running out of space. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? 37 people, as Wes said, signed up the other day to be on part of our volunteer teams. We ended last season of connect groups with about 11 or so connect groups. We're now over 21 connect groups. We're seeing greater potential of building and impacting into our community. And church, I just want to say more than ever before, this is, there is the temptation to be filled with awe and wonder at what we are doing and in the process miss out on pushing into what should be our very primary focus, which is expanding our view of the worth of Jesus Christ and growing in the depths of our devotion and adoration of Him. You know, even catchphrases or statements can be dangerous. <laughs> I don't know if you've thought of this. They can produce death if we don't get the peace of devotion to Christ right. To know Him and to make Him known. How many times do we speak that out? And it's something that we believe in passionately. But it can just become a call to duty rather than an encouragement towards a deeper, more intimate devotion to Christ echoed through hearts of thankfulness, which in turn produce deeper relationship with Him. What about a gathering, healing, training, sending church? Something we value passionately as the mandate over this church. Yet even this can just become a call to duty rather than the vehicle for transporting us into a more passionate, a more thankful, a more devoted, a more people-loving, a more Christ-centered walk that produces greater levels of integrity, of honor, and of impact in our lives, the community, and the far reaches of the globe. We this weekend are celebrating Thanksgiving. We never celebrated Thanksgiving in South Africa. So the first year we got here, we got invited to somebody's house for Thanksgiving and got to experience the wonder of the Thanksgiving lunch. <laughs> we never experienced that before in our lives. Uh, ever since then, I don't know if you can kind of relate to this, find myself proclaiming the ode to Thanksgiving. Have you ever done that? May the stuffing be tasty. May the turkey be plump. May the potatoes and gravy have nary a lump. May the yams be delicious and the pies take the prize and may the Thanksgiving dinner stay off my thighs. <laughs> but it hasn't worked. <laughs> but I'm not yet to recount the history of Thanksgiving today, but it is a great opportunity, church, for us to remind ourselves of the great mission and the mandate of the church. And this is it. It may shock you, but it's to be a people solely devoted to Christ and to live that out with extreme thankfulness and gratefulness as the core foundation. Sounds a bit of like the first and the greatest commandment, hey? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In fact, there's a scripture in Colossians 3, verse 15 to 17, which says it beautifully. It says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, this is what we were called to, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amazing scripture highlights the fact that nothing, nothing, should take place in our world without devotion and thankfulness to Christ. 
There's a short account in the Bible mentioned in three of the different, three different gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. And I want to look at that this morning. It was an occurrence that took place long be, not long before Jesus was arrested. An action was performed at this account, in this account, that was so profound, so incredibly profound, that Jesus makes the closing statement in both the, the account of it in Matthew and the account in Mark, where he says, what this person did will be recorded in the gospel, so that wherever the gospels are proclaimed in the world, what this person has done will be told in memory of them. You know, Jesus never said that about Paul, the great apostle. He never said that about David, the man after God's own heart. He never said that about Abraham, the father of many nations and a great man of faith. He never said it about Elijah, the great prophet, or anyone else mentioned in Scripture for that matter. We want to look at this, and I want to look at this this morning. Why did Jesus say this? I'm going to read the account out of Mark, and it's found in Mark 14, verse 3 to 9. Short passage, I'm going to read it. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman, and if you read the John's account of the story, it tells us that that woman was Mary, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. The woman came with an alabaster flask of anointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Amazing passage of Scripture. I want to unpack some of this as we read through this a little bit again, and I'm going to start with where it opens. It says, and while he was at Bethany in the house of the leper, if you also read the John's account, it tells us a little bit more that this event was an event of honor and was in honor of Jesus. It was shortly after Lazarus had been raised from the dead, and it's possible that it was an event celebrating the fact that Lazarus was raised from the dead, but it was in honor of Jesus. It also tells us that Lazarus was one of those that was there. The disciples were there, Simon the leper, Jesus. There was at least 15 men in that room at that time. Here's a couple of interesting points to note. This was the house of Simon the leper. That tells you something already. You know that in those days, lepers were not allowed to be in the midst of people. They were excommunicated outside the city walls. However, this was Simon the leper's house, which means that he'd probably been healed by Jesus at some stage. Was also, round that table seated the disciples who had seen miracles after miracles. They had walked with Jesus every step of the way and seen what he had done. Lazarus was seated there. Hey man, if you've experienced a miracle, you better know that if you've been raised from the dead, you've experienced a miracle in your life, right? He had seen that. He had been that. Faith was in the house. 
I'm telling you, it was an atmosphere must have been charged with faith. They were doing this for Jesus as well. So here's the thought. This was an event where the atmosphere was charged with faith of people who had witnessed the miraculous and this event was put on for Jesus. My point number one, we can miss out on being devoted to Christ even in the midst of doing stuff for Him and in the midst of an atmosphere of faith. I don't know about you, but there is faith in this house at the moment. Can I hear an amen? It's certainly faith in my heart for God to do what He wants to do in this midst and to blow us open to whatever extent He wants to do. We see it, we know it, we sense it, it's wonderful. It's also a season in the house where we're seeing the purposes, where we're seeing people stepping up and stepping into the purposes of God and what He has for them, getting involved in order to see this house be able to fulfill the mandate over it and also over their personal lives. It's a season where people are laying hold of the call to do what God has called us to do. But my exhortation to us today, church, is this. Are we making sure that we don't miss out on being devoted to Christ amidst the excitement of doing stuff for Him and in the midst of an atmosphere of faith? Whole ministries operate in this current day and age, charged and motivated by faith and duty, yet God is often not present as the highest focus and devotion to Him and as an add-on rather than the centrality of the ministry. We can even honor a cause without being devoted to a cause. I don't know if you've seen some of these people who are so passionate about not killing sharks because people think sharks are man killers. And so they go into the sea and they dive down and they swim with sharks and to try and prove that they're not killers. And it's a wonderful cause. I honor those guys' commitment to the cause, seriously. But I'm not devoted enough to go and do that with them. Okay, get it straight. You can honor something, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're devoted to that. In the midst of this event for Jesus, in honor of Jesus, in an atmosphere of faith and the miraculous, this group of people, except for Mary, missed the opportunity to see the importance of being devoted to Christ as the highest and most precious thing they could strive for. Let's unpack it a bit further. It says, carries on, it says, as he was reclining at a table, a woman, and we know that was Mary, came with an alabaster flask of anointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Just imagine this scene. I don't know if you realize the incredible shedding in if I can put that, use that word, of her own dignity and integrity in doing this in one sense. You know, in those days, this was not a household family meal. This was a, a meeting of honor. This was an event. In those times, in biblical times, men and women never ate at these things together. We know that the men would have been around the table. It says they were reclining. The tables used to be low. The men would lie on their sides next to the table, eat like this with their feet away from the table, their heads towards the table, the food would all be here and they would munch away and be around the table like that. We also know probably some of the, and this is my poetic license, but give me that. <laughs> but we probably know some of the order of where people were seated. We know that in those events, 
the guest of honor would always sit away from the main door as a sign of protection for, the, from the, for, for him, that he would be furthest away from the place of entry. We also probably know that John was in front of Jesus because he was the disciple that, who, who Jesus loved. And we know that the scripture, in fact, if you read in the King James Version, it's terrible, man. It says, Jesus lay back, no, John lay on Jesus' bosom. And you go, hmm, how did that work? In other ones, it says, uh, it says it more amicably, he lay back on Jesus. This is how they did it. John would have been in front, and he would have been here, and he would want to talk to Jesus who was behind him, and he would lay back to talk to Jesus, and naturally, he would be there, Right? The other side of him was probably Simon the leper. As the host, he would be close to Jesus so that he could help him with any of his needs that he had, also protecting his back because he was the host. He was there to make sure that the person of honor was protected and all the other people around. And in through the far door, here's Jesus at the reclining at the table. In through the door walks Mary with this thing. Totally unacceptable. We know that the ladies would come and serve food and then exit the room. She walks in, and you can just imagine everybody looking around. They knew who Mary was, thinking, what is going on here? She might have even had to step over a couple of legs. Oh, excuse me, sorry, I'm just coming through, kind of to get around to the end of the table to get to Jesus. And then it says that she did what she did. That which Mary had to do or was about to do was a big slap in the face of a whole lot of stuff. It was a slap in the face of cultural norms, was a slap in the face of accepted tradition. It was a slap in the face of expected action and at the expense of her comfort, of her comfort of conformity and complacency. She interrupted this men's only event. She laid herself, her comfort aside. You can bet all eyes were on her. She broke with conformity, which often goes hand in hand with tradition. And she refused to com remain complacent about her devotion to Jesus. My point number two, being wholeheartedly devoted to Christ, church, sometimes requires, not suggests, requires us to go against what is comfortable for us, what is cultural to us, what is traditional around us, and break out of the conformity and complacency, which over time we're allowed to creep into our thoughts, our actions, and our emotions. We're at a place as a church, church where to be truly devoted to Christ, we may need to lay aside stuff, thought processes, emotions that have governed us in order to center our devotion on Christ again. Society wants to move the church. Hear this. Tell me if you can't agree with this. Society wants to move the church. The church will never move society until the church is fully devoted to Christ because Christ will move society through the church. This is about Jesus through the church. Guys, it's not the church. We are the church and it's Jesus through us that will move society. Let's carry on unpacking it a bit. She came with an alabaster flask of anointment of, ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignant, indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? The accounting John tells us a little bit more. They obviously all mumbled that to themselves, but there was one guy who spoke up a bit louder than the other. 
and actually said it out aloud. And that was Judas Iscariot, the one that was soon to betray Jesus. For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, her, said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. That aromatic pure nod came from an Indian or an Arab, Arabian root. It wasn't as is often proclaimed a burial spice. It was an anointing oil that was used for honor, for ceremonies of honor. It was very expensive. It says, and in fact, today, the cost of that oil would have probably yielded more than 300 days' wages. It would have been about $25,000 worth in that jar. John Piper, who you may know, a well-known biblical teacher, says this one, said this one, it is a beautiful thing when the value of his perfections and the intensity of our affections correspond. Isn't that a beautiful quote? When the value of his perfections and the intensity of our uh, affections correspond. By breaking that expensive jar of costly perfume over Jesus, in that moment, this is why everybody was so shocked. It challenged their value system. You see, church, no matter what we talk about, this applies to everything. It's not actually a question of whether we value something or not. It's just a question of whether we value something more than something else. We have a value on everything. Everything. Go into superstore. I'm going to buy some cauliflower. Oh, I don't want that. I want the organic one because I value that more for my health than that. Go around. Oh, I'm going to pay. I'm not going to go to the line and stand in the queue. I'm going to go to the express counter because I value my time more than that. You can put it into every context. <coughs> we, value, we place the value on everything in life. It's just a question of what has more value and what has less value. Judas, in an instant, placed a value on the act of Mary, that, on the act that Mary had just done. He could not, in this instant, place devotion to Christ at a higher value than $25,000. Interestingly, how's this? Interesting, only a couple of days later, the Bible tells us that Judas would sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That was only worth $1,000. He valued the relatively paltry sum of $1,000 of higher value, value than the very life of Jesus. We are at a place, church, point number three, where we should be contemplating and, if necessary, adjusting our value system. Because without adjustments to our values, we cannot be fully devoted to Christ. For our love for Christ to match His worth, we may need to reshape our value system. We can have Jesus in the house. He can be doing, we can be doing things for Jesus, but have not set him in the highest place as the object of highest value. You see, true devotion to Christ is not measured by what we do for him, but how much we value him. It's contrary to the world. 
Jesus, in a couple of sentences here, takes this moment, and this is a wonderful response that Jesus gives. He takes a moment to try and teach into this value system. He tries to teach them out of what Jesus has said and what they were all thinking of how to readjust their value system as Mary had done. He said this, leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing to me. He then gives three reasons to leave Mary alone. More importantly, really, these are three explanations of how to change our value system. The first one, verse 7b, says, leave her alone, and then, because you will not always have me. That's the first thing. How do we adjust our value system? Are we prepared to change how much we value something in order to put the presence of God at the place of highest value in our lives? Not just the purposes of God, the presence of God. Do we value God's presence with us more than anything else? How would we, how should we change if that has become a reality in our personal lives? Point number one. Second reason or second explanation of how to change our value system he gives through Mary's. He says, leave her alone because you will always have the poor with you. Wow, this is a kind of confusing one. What was Jesus saying? Don't give to the poor? What? Doing good is not a value. Hear this and I'll explain it. Doing good is not a value that should replace or even match the value of our devotion to Christ. Jesus is not saying the poor are not important. In actual fact, his answer suggests the opposite. You always have the poor with you. I think in those moments, some of them might have cringed because they know they've walked past people with needs time and time again, and they've done nothing. But then when it suddenly comes to this, the motive changes and they don't see the value of the presence of God with us and how how devotion to Christ is more than anything, and they suddenly think, what's the best excuse we can give? Oh, the poor. Church, there are always opportunities to reach out with acts of charity, of kindness, of goodness in our spheres of influence, in our city, and we better be doing that because that was on God's heart. But it should not match the value of our devotion to Christ. Where it goes wrong is where charity trumps devotion to Christ. Where my, because what we're doing there is we're saying where my goodness trumps his greatness. I want to speak about financial giving and you go, no, don't go there. No, I'm going to go there. <laughs> because this is part of it. But charity and tithing are not the same. Whoops, just shot a holy cow. Charity and tithing are not the same. The goal of the one, hear what I'm saying, church, the goal of the one is to bless and be a blessing to someone, to some cause, to some need, to some cause, some need, and that is good. It's biblical. We must do that. But it doesn't replace tithing, the goal of which is not, as is commonly often thought, only to keep the church running, to keep the pastor's family with food on the table, to achieve the goals of the church. That may be part of the fruit of tithing, but the goal of tithing is to respond in obedience and set the highest priority and value on a physical level in my life of devotion to Christ. That should kind of get to us. <laughs> That's why the Bible talks about tithing as the first fruits. It's the choice of setting that as the highest 
value. This, however, as Jesus was speaking this over this crowd, he was not only hitting finances here. He was challenging them in every level as to how they value everything. How do you value your finances? How do you value your relationships? How do you value your time? How do you value your talents? How do you value your family? If anything, is that a place of higher value than devotion to Christ, not devotion to the church? Careful. Not devotion to the church, devotion to Christ. It has the incorrect value in our lives and we need to make adjustments. Third challenge or third explanation he gives on how to change our value system as he responds. He says, leave her alone. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for, for burial. There's lots of takes on this. Some people think, well, maybe these were spices that were put on, her, put on him so that when he was buried, he would smell nice while he was put in the grave. Doesn't kind of ring true because it was quite a couple of days uh, <laughs> by the time he got buried. I don't know. But remember, this was Mary. Okay, what was so critical about Mary? Mary, the brother of Lazarus, who had seen Jesus raise her brother Lazarus from the dead. She knew the man she was anointing was the resurrection and the life. Jesus, in this moment of extravagance, recognizes that Mary has gotten it. She has she is celebrating in this moment, not a man who will be conquered by death, but the resurrection and the life. And all through Scripture in the Old Testament, we see men chosen by God, anointed with oil. We see David. We see others that were anointed as king. It was a sign of kingship, a sign of the authority to rule and reign. And in this moment, Mary acknowledges and anoints Jesus as king over death and Lord of life, and the one destined to rule and reign. I get goosebumps when I think about that. The response in the lesson here, church, is this. Have we changed our value system to reflect devotion to Christ as Lord, not just as Savior? That's why good theology teaches this. Jesus, not only as Savior, but more importantly as Lord of our lives. <clears throat> never change your value system. I'll never change my value system if I just see him as Savior. But when I see him as Lord, it demands a change. So when we get to the place of personally, a place personally of adjusting all our values so that we place Jesus, devotion to Christ, the highest place, Jesus sees it as a beautiful thing, just like he did with Mary. Lastly, and I'm going to close with this. The account in John's gospel in verse 3 says that when she broke the jar, the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I love that. I can just imagine that. Hey, Imagine being in a house where this incredible fragrance is, is just, I don't know, sometimes, you know, you walk through a place or in a field and suddenly there might be a really fragrant plant and you just suddenly get this whiff coming past and it's like intoxicating. That whole house was filled with that as she broke that. And church, if we dare to personally set devotion on Christ, personally to value thanksgiving and devotion to Him above all else, it will affect the corporate atmosphere and we will affect all of those in the house. 
Our personal acts of devotion to Christ will affect the corporate atmosphere. Sometimes we people that sit yearning, yearning in church for more in Christ, yearning for deeper levels of intimacy, looking to the corporate to affect the personal. But if we start to value devotion to Christ church on a personal level first and stop looking at the corporate to do that, I'm telling you, we will start to affect the corporate and begin to live in the fullness of what you and many of us desire. Here's my ending statement. Let's never stop loving our families. Let's never stop loving people. Let's never stop celebrating what God is doing in our midst as a church. Let's never stop seeking to do good. Let's never stop reaching out to others. Let's never stop being a church on mission. Let's never stop going to the ends of earth to proclaim the gospel. But let's stop valuing any of this more than we value Christ himself. That's the reason Jesus said, what she has done will be told in memory of her wherever this gospel is preached. Amen. Thanks, Mark.